This is the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you hit that like, subscribe, and notifier button so you can be aware whenever a new episode is available. Also, leave a comment and a review. We would really appreciate that. And now, off to this week's episode of the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends. Welcome back to the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends. My name is Scott Schweitzer. I'm your host. I'm the Clydesdale. We like to do fitness, and these are my friends. I got my co-host, Amy Radowski, with me, and proven coach, Dwight Upshaw. How are you doing, hey. Dwight? Doing well. Doing well. Um, nice, rainy, humid day here in Nashville. Yeah, so uh, before we get into you, we were talking kind of before we got on the air that... Um, Proven, it appears, if if I'm right in my calculations, and I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong, that you have the most elite athletes in the open division going to the CrossFit Games. And we have that as U6, Mayhem 5, and I couldn't think of anybody else even other camp close. Yeah, I mean, the only other camps that I would see that have been putting elite athletes up there would be training Think Tank. Um, and I know that they have you know a few athletes in there, but I think that going for um, six athletes and five athletes would be what, in my estimation, probably the highest up there, but I haven't actually done any calculations myself on that. You know, we're just kind of focused on getting athletes to the games and seeing what we can do and trying to really tackle just day by day. Yeah. Yeah. Think take, I think is three. Um, yeah. And again, I, I'm probably wrong on all this and the, and the listeners are going to tell me w- what I've missed, but um I want to start with what just recently happened, and that is Nick Matthew got yep. his ticket to the games. Um, how excited was he? And he is one of my favorite athletes to watch because he gives everything he has every minute of the day. Yeah, Nick is a wonderful athlete and a human being in terms of just being around him and watching him go after events and at events. I mean, I can't tell you how much um, we all yelled and screamed for him um, trying to get that final spot. This last one, I know that it was my first introduction to him last year, um, helping him lead up to Granite Games again last year and having that be two points. And again, it was Colton Mertens um, who got him um, on those. And so it was kind of like, okay, well, we saw this again. He's that close, even last chance qualifier watching him put it all out there, really get close with that. And then being able to punch his ticket and be able to get in there has been something that's been really amazing and really fun to watch. Um, I know that that entire community up there at Minnetonka um, is all for him. And it's amazing when you actually go to Granite Games, you see this whole, all stands out there and all these people that are cheering for him um, because he definitely puts the work in and has been just knocking on the door consistently for the last couple of years. Yeah, he has been just like one spot out so many times. One, yeah, what two years in a row? So yep. the reason he got in is Phil Tune tested positive. He got yep. his back fill. He did the last chance qualifier. How does that affect him going into the games? Truthfully, for him, um, he has a really good mindset with it, and he was kind of training um, for better or for worse. If we were going into full off season. Um, we would have expected Nick to maybe take a little bit more time off. Um, he's not one of those types of people that really likes to take any time off. So he was kind of right back into it and was excited and probably would have been training almost just as hard if he didn't have the last chance qualifier. And I think the way that the last chance qualifier was this year and our expectations for how it was going to be programmed 
which our expectation was going to be a little bit different than what it was last year. And actually, I really liked the programming for it and felt like it was very well-rounded for the last chance qualifier. And so leading up into that, you know, he was uh, following along with a lot of the stuff that we were already doing for the games for that. Um, with the expectation that they're going to be testing a little bit more things that you might see come up in the games. And so he was able to kind of hit the ground running a little bit more through there. And the only thing that he needs to do a little bit after that is just like, you know, maybe a minor deload after that um, competition style setting. But for him, um, he does so much workload and he keeps the volume pretty high that recovery for him isn't as um, it's not as detrimental to hit a weekend like that going into a next week. All he needs to do is kind of take a little bit more of a low volume week and he's right back in it. I heard Austin Spencer say that it was actually a blessing because he probably would have let himself take more time off than he should have had the last chance qualifier not been there. Would that have been the same for Nick or is he just a, a, like a gym rat? He's a gym rat. Um, I I don't think that you got, you get that, but keep that guy out of the gym. He'd also, I think signed up for a competition with some buddies. So he'd already kind of had something um, on the back burner that he was ready to do. So it was one of those things he was ready for it and he was going to be up there. Um, his primary focus was last chance. Let's just go for that and put it all out there. I mean, we had pretty good confidence that he could be pretty close at the last chance, um, make it or be close again. He was two spots out of that. He's been you know right on the line of it. So we had a pretty good shot of making it there. And if he didn't, he was going to be ready for the competition that was coming down the line. So that's kind of how he tackled it. And I don't think that it would have changed anything for him, whether or not the last chance was there or not, he would have been right back in the gym. So your list of six athletes I have are Brooke Wells, Tia Toomey, Saxon Panchik, Will Morad, Cole Grease Saber, and Nick Matthew are yeah. the ones. So Cole and Nick are remote athletes. Are they yeah. going to spend some time in Nashville prior to the games? Yeah. So actually Cole's been with us um, a lot more since his semifinal. So leading up to semifinals, you know, he spent a lot of time back at um, home. He kind of came out a few times here and there and he'd be out for a weekend or two. And then um, we had little training camps where he'd be out with more of a bigger group and then would come in with that. But he's been in contact um, specifically uh, Nick Johnson, our coach is more, one-on-one with him and so he has a lot of communication day-to-day with him and is able to really help that um what what our expectations are from him as a remote athlete that way and then when he's coming to camp now he gets a lot of that kind of coaching from shane from me from the other athletes and he's able to get um, really kind of flourish in this environment here and he's been able to do that where he's been out here for the last two weeks he's planning on staying through the games he was out for another two weeks earlier, went back home for a week, came back. So he's been out here quite a lot since the semis. How important is it for the athletes to get that different perspective from all three of you? You know, if like say Cole works with Nick most of the year, but yet then you see something that maybe could be tweaked a little bit. How important is that for the athlete? I think it's hugely important. It's something that Shane's talked about because he's been with Tia forever. And he says that there's this certain period where all of a sudden it turns into almost like mute or blindness where it's like something that he's actually seen a bunch, but it happens all the time. And so it's almost like one of those things where it stopped being said. I mean, Shane's trying to critique every little thing, but there are certain things that come up. And if I see it because it's not, you know, because it's just a different perspective, Tia might even hear it better 
from that way. Or and same thing happens, you know, when Nick comes into town because Nick is in Knoxville, so he comes up uh, weekly, but he'll be up for a weekend and he'll see different stuff that we kind of constantly are looking at but don't see from that perspective. And so what's nice is that you get a different viewpoint, you get a different ear um, to look at it. And so the athletes might hear a cue from someone a little bit differently than someone else, and it might actually, you know, click. Um, I've seen even Tia just do that to Saxon on more than one occasion where she says something and he goes, it's what Tia said. Um, and then all of a sudden he had something click into him and he just needed it said just a little bit differently. And with the husband wife dynamic, I know my wife can mute me on a daily. Well, no, I was yeah. going to add, you're a dad, aren't you Dwight? I am a dad. Yes. Um, yeah, I have a two and a half year old. So that's, that's one of the things that I, I try to bring him into the gym to get a little bit in that environment. It's really yeah. nice because both Shane and Tia really love kids. And uh, I know that, you know, constantly Sawyer is his name. will constantly yeah. run around and want to like fist bump the athletes. He's now gotten into being a big hugger, which is great. So um, he'll kind of like run up and hug every once in a while, which is kind of fun. And he likes to play and run up and down um, all the, he likes the handstand walk ramp the best um, and then swinging on the ring. So it's kind of nice to have him in that environment um, and definitely gives me a, another perspective on how to balance life a little bit more rather than just living in the gym as well. Yeah. And, and you'll notice too, with being a dad, that, uh, that selective hearing, you know, like yeah. you need that other partner so that they can also reiterate the same thing, but maybe see it in a different perspective. Yeah. It's like when mom says it, it's a little bit different than when dad says it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So I want to go back and kind of talk about how you got into CrossFit. Yeah. And I noticed that you started at CrossFit Sanitas. Yeah, started across. I was actually the first member at CrossFit Sanitas. It was one of those things I've been looking at CrossFit for a really long time. Um, Roots was down the way. That's kind of like an OG gym. Um, Nicole Christensen, who has you know worked at HQ for a long time, um, and the only thing for me was at the time I just I was pretty poor. I was trying to be firefighter, EMT. I was in like pre nursing school stuff, uh, working as a bartender doing all those type of things. So I actually looked across it for a long time, been a lifetime athlete and the cost was just really hard for me at the time. And then cross and Sanitas had like a $99, you know, let's try it for a month type thing. And I did two classes and then I signed up for the monthly recurring pretty much at right after two classes doing CrossFit and realized it was definitely something that I really enjoyed and wanted to do. Yeah. Our, uh, our friend Yash put in uh, games, 2040, let's go Sawyer. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. Uh, well, we'll see. I mean, he definitely likes to do everything. He's trying to climb on about as much as he possibly can right now. So the reason I wanted to bring up CrossFit Sanitas is it's a very famous gym now. Yeah. The, the, yeah, current, it's funny. It's, the current chairman of the board. Yeah. It, uh, it turned into being, it's funny. Um, Eric had talked to me about buying CrossFit pretty much early on, right? Like he'd wanted to buy CrossFit before he bought Sanitas and then just decided, okay, I'll do Sanitas as it was. And then, you know, we'd been talking and it was during COVID, which was crazy. Um, and he, you know, I went over actually to get some weights from him because there were weights in his, his garage gym. And I just bought a house that he wasn't really using and he just was going to let me have. And he just pulled me aside. He goes, Hey, I think I might be able to buy CrossFit. <laughs> And so uh, it was, it was a pretty cool conversation to see that happen and see how it went. And it definitely has turned into a really big spot um, as a, as 
now, you know, the chairman's uh, gym. But it was one of those things where I liked being there for that. But then having the opportunity to come out here and actually do more what was my passion. I love running a gym and I love being with everyday athletes and helping them get that next level. Um, but I'd been doing that for eight or nine years and be able to work at an elite level was one of those opportunities where it's like, okay, I like this being close to, you know, home HQ style stuff. But then at the same time, it's, I really wanted to get into that elite field and kind of push the performance boundary a little bit and see what we could do there. So you were actually the head coach there. Yeah. When did that, for how long were you the head coach at Sanitas? Um, seven years. So um, I started CrossFit in 2013. I'd been there for a year and a half and then I started you know, taking on teens programming, endurance programming. I'm an ex, you know, pretty big endurance athlete was my, my background. So I took over the endurance program and then we had another coach who was running the teens programming and he was going to be moving on. And so I just was trying to basically get as many hours as I possibly could all the time. Um, I just wanted to, you know, like I said, live there for the most part. And so I just started taking everybody's hours that weren't kind of getting hours. And so I took over the teens program, took over the endurance program, um, and then when the head coach decided to move on from there, he kind of had told um, the owners, Eric and Melissa, that he thought that I should be the natural one to take it over. And so I'd only really been coaching for about a year. Um, I felt like I was a little bit in over my head at the, at the moment because I'd only felt like I'd been there for a year and we actually had more seasoned coaches. Um, but it was one of those things to kind of learn on the fly and just go with it. How, how good of a relationship do you have with Eric? Um, really good. I would say that, you know, he's one of those people I definitely um, always kind of trust to have my best interest. And so, um, you know, I've talked to him throughout the years. I've still talked to him, you know, here and there. Um, you know, we don't talk as much. Um, you know, he's he's definitely really busy. We're in different spots. Um, but, you know, I know I told him I was going to be coming back to Boulder here in just a little bit. And he said, you know, if, if I needed a place to stay, I could just, you know, stay over there instead of having to get an Airbnb or anything like that. And it would be kind of good to catch up always have been on long hikes, um, done some stuff like that. So, you know, I, I led a group to do the rim to rim to rim of the Grand Canyon three years ago. So it was like right before COVID. And I literally just put it out there to Eric, but I'd had a big training group of everybody <laughs> and he showed up and did it with no training. Um, and his feet, I couldn't believe how bad they were, but that that's, <laughs> that's the type of guy. He likes big challenges and I like to throw out big challenges. So that's kind of where we kind of hit it off. So I'm curious more about your endurance background. Were you like yep. into marathons, triathlons, that kind of thing? Yeah, a little bit of a little bit of everything. Um, so I was on the crew team at Berkeley mm -hmm. um, after being like high school football uh, track, and then I did I did crew, but then I got in really heavy to triathlon my second year. So I quit crew, ended up hitting with the triathlon team, and then just kind of diving you know full head of steam into that and was through all like i stayed for an extra year um so i was four and a half years but then that still allowed me to compete and then that that year we actually won the national championship at uc berkeley as a triathlete so i did mostly olympic distance during that time i did a couple halves and then i did halves qualified for um, half ironman worlds um, mm -hmm. i will say i had it band syndrome kind of hit up really bad um, and so that kept me out of actually doing worlds at that time. And ironically, you wouldn't think this, but after that, I kind of took a little bit of time off, 
went into like a little bit of a strength period, but then came back and I found out that just running didn't give me IT band syndrome, which was weird. It was kind of like the bike uh, run mix. And I was able to start running almost like a hundred miles a week there for a little bit. And uh, I got really heavy into marathon training and then ultra marathon training. And so I did a marathon um, hit basically a a time that I didn't think I would hit again. Yeah. I just kind of stopped after that and then went to longer distance and (laughs) did a couple ultra marathons. Like I said, like I, I, I set everybody out to do the rim to rim to rim of the grand Canyon, which is 52 miles. And a lot of it, a lot of us trained it as a hike. I kind of wanted to see how fast I could go. So, you know, running down and back it with, uh, with a bunch of friends was pretty fun. Um, and I kind of turned it into a competition a little bit. That's awesome. So do you incorporate, sorry, do you incorporate a lot of swimming then into your, um, into the athletes that you coach, uh, like year round or just kind of like leading up to the games? So I think it depends on the athlete um, a little bit more so. Um, athletes that we know that are going to be going to the games, we tend to incorporate swimming a little bit more often than not. I know specifically I'll just use like Will Morad as a good example of that. Um, he's noticed that when he does incorporate more swimming into his programming, he actually feels a little bit healthier overall and it loosens up the shoulders. So he's one of those guys that's specifically giving me feedback that I want it to stay in there. Um, it decompresses the back a little bit. Um, the aerobic ability does go up um, significantly. And I've seen that that improve across the board with a lot of athletes where when they do incorporate a little bit more swim training, it's kind of, it's low impact. So they can keep a lot of the other training up. Um, you know, it's one of those things that's pretty therapeutic. It moves the range of motion that we don't normally see in CrossFit. So it actually can be really helpful in terms of a recovery protocol as well as developing that aerobic engine. So I do like to incorporate it in there at least once a week for most athletes, just even just for that alone of decompressing the spine, elongating everything, kind of moving through full ranges of motion in the shoulders, you know, and keeping that core and that good engagement while you're kind of moving through there. I always call it like, it's like a moving bird dog. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming conversely, if they're not a good swimmer, that's not a relaxing recovery type thing. And it's treated a little bit differently. Yes. I would say that the goal um, is to create a swim session where they can learn how to make it more recovery versus feeling like they're drowning and kind of getting in there. You know, a good example of this is uh, Cole Grayshaber who came on first time I saw him swimming. It was one of those things where we're like, okay, got some work to do. It looks like he's going to be, you know, fighting through the water. And it's going to be one of those things where he actually feels like it's work every single time he hits it. And now, I mean, watching him in the water, he looks pretty smooth, you know, getting up there feels really good. Um, really strong athlete, you know, you can actually see him be really comfortable in it. You know, all of our athletes, I would say right now look very comfortable in the water and very fluid. So it's one of those things we can incorporate a little bit more often with that. And like you said, newer athletes coming onto it, what you have to do is for me, I just like to structure it where it's in very like short doses so that they can recover from it, focus on a little bit more form early on, and then they can kind of develop the capacity after that. So that brings up a great question. I'm assuming you're kind of the swim coach for Proven because of your background. Um, Yes, I've I've definitely helped out a lot more with that than the other coaches. Like I'll be there for more swim sessions. Early on when I first came on, I spent a little bit more time um, specifically with the athletes one-on-one a little bit more trying to work on flip turns trying to think about okay how are we going to actually tackle a swim session in terms of making it a little bit more 
um, appropriate in terms of what we want to see rather than just swimming. I know in the past, a lot of athletes will just jump in and they're like, okay, I want to accumulate 2000 meters and it's kind of whatever way we want to do it. But then actually thinking about how to program a session so that you get a lot more out of it and focus on some specific points was something that I definitely um, helped out a lot more with uh, early on. We have a question um, about what about adjusting to the temperature of water for athletes from different states? Hmm. Talking about open water, um, my guess would be that um, if we're, I mean, yeah. yeah, because I mean, most, most pools when you're swimming in them, they kind of come at a, a, a specifically if you're in kind of like a master's swim group or if you're in a specific swimming pool, they have a specific set temperature that they kind of have there right around that 70 to 72 degrees. Um, I would say adjusting the temperature of water for athletes from different states. Um, that's something we haven't had to deal with. Um, we've, you know, swim in open water um, in Nashville and have been out there. And I would say that the water is actually pretty comfortable. We haven't had to put on any wetsuits or anything like that. We also know um, that Madison is roughly about the same. And so, you know, when we're talking about getting ready for the games, we're talking about specificity and we're going to be tackling all those things that could possibly come up at the games. So, you know, we're not going to necessarily take the athletes out to open water in San Francisco and see how you can swim in a wetsuit in 52 degree water. Um, but I, I would say, you know, if, if you're, if we were in San Diego, you know, that actually might be something that we do because, you know, that Pacific ocean is definitely very cold. And learning how to swim in a wetsuit feels a little bit differently than swimming in open water as is. And specifically like that, how the water hits your face is pretty, uh, definitely can kind of wake you up a little bit. Yeah. Um, Kat, our co-host says, I think it's going to be indoor this year anyway and irrelevant. Yeah. Um, and I actually really like that because uh, we've, we've been swimming a lot more in the pool this year, mm -hmm. getting ready for it and kind of working a lot more on trying to make sure that the athletes feel really comfortable in terms of, okay, whether or not it's a 50 meter swim, 25 meter swim, are they doing flip turns? How's that going to be? And so, um, I, I think that it's kind of nice. I also think that spectator wise, I think that you can create a little bit more of a friendly environment for understanding where the athletes are, what type of event it's going to be and allowing for a little bit more of that kind of, I, I, I personally would like to see a 50 meter sprint style, bracket and just you know top 10 athletes move on and just you keep going and you just keep cutting them down just kind of like almost like those sprint ladders for like a snatcher clean and jerk hmm. that's pretty interesting yeah that's um that's hmm. so if you're if you're like pillar is swimming do nick and shane have other pillars that they're kind of strong at or are you guys just trying to be overall coaches so <laughs> I would not say my pillar is swimming per se. When I was, when I was in triathlon, I would say running is more of my pillar. Um, running and biking would be the things that I'm best at. I definitely understand swimming more because I wasn't naturally good at it. So it's, you know, when you're not really great at something, you have to learn how to be better at it. You can teach a little bit better. Um, but in terms of that, like the endurance, like you'd say is more of my pillar. And I would say what we're all trying to do though is be overall good coaches in terms of a broader sense everybody no matter what you've done in your entire life comes from a different background and can provide you know a different outlook on the way that we hit training and so you know nick i would say comes from more of a strength-based uh programming side being a baseball athlete that's like very power very speed oriented 
And so, you know, he does these, you know, his style has definitely been more towards that. My style has been definitely more towards like the muscular endurance, the aerobic capacity. And I would say that Shane, you know, one thing that he really liked bringing both of us on is we kind of just want to constantly learn. Um, and Shane's not stuck into any sort of way that things need to be done. He's just constantly looking to adapt and see what the athletes need. And so, you know, you can pull from both of us from different backgrounds, but then we can look at how Shane's done it in the past and then kind of mold things together a little bit more and talk about what each individual needs and then kind of work from there. And I think that that's really the environment we're trying to create in terms of a coaching side is to listen to each other, listen to the outlook, listen to the athletes, and then kind of understand how to tackle training that way. And so I would say that, yeah, there's, there's some biases and there's some pillars that we kind of pull from, but I would say overall, we're just trying to be as well-rounded as possible and more listen to the athletes to understand that. So my next oh, yeah. question and is, sorry, Will is for us old, old people. <laughs> I see that. from <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that, Will that's Curdy, Charlie. Yeah. That's Charlie yeah. running the background. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Will Curdy has been awesome with um, when he's been out here um, with us and we definitely get to talk a little bit more often in terms of the overarching theme in terms. So he runs more proven 60 and our master's programming. And then he works one-on-one -on -one with Amelia um, who's in the master's division. She got fourth um, on the age group qualifier. And so he's doing more remote with that. But in terms of the reason why we have it more of the trio in terms of working with the athletes here is just because we get more hands-on and eyes on to athletes. And that is definitely something that we do value as being really important in terms of if we're programming for someone, we want to make sure that we are really um, hands-on and eyes-on to be able to really create that program. And so um, that's why like the trio of us here in Nashville work more with the Nashville athletes, if that makes sense. So what was the process that brought you on to Proven? Was it an application process? Did you Yeah, have to go it's a funny interviews? story actually. Yeah, it's very funny. Um, so I'd seen Proven had just posted on their Instagram that they were looking for, it said remote coach 15 hours. Um, and I was thinking help with programming, basically creating a track or something. And I'd already been programming for people on the side one-on-one. -on -one. And if you've ever programmed for people one-on-one, -on -one, as kind of a big amount of uh, athletes in order to get, you know, another source of income. It's one of those things that takes a really long time if you're really doing it right to do each person individually and to think about, okay, I could have another income that almost equals that. And it's only one track or help with programming. And then I could also learn from someone like Shane, you know, who has the extensive you know knowledge that he's had and be able to work into that environment and be remote, but come out every once in a while. That to me was what it looked like in terms of what the original job was. And that's all I thought it was. And then what was funny about it was that my buddy, so David Woods, I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he actually was the guy who sent a cold call email pretty much to Greg Glassman and Dave Castro saying that Eric wanted to buy the company. And so he actually kind of started that whole process, but he actually sent me it and said, I think you'd be perfect for this and send it out to me. And so I, I emailed them. I sent everything in. They, they responded within like four hours and said, okay, answer all these other questions. And I, I was coaching. Um, I also had a newborn at the time. And so it was, I think I'd sent out, you know, my original application and it was like the night. So it was, 
it was one of those things that was like late at night because that's the only time I had in a day. Mm-hmm. I went to the gym at five in the morning and I was coaching until one thirty. I had to then, you know, go back home to relieve my wife from child duty so that she could actually work. So I, I come back, you know, and I'd sent the email and it was literally like they'd send it in the morning. Hey, respond to these. And then they responded four hours later after telling me to respond to these things like, Hey, have you not seen our questions? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and, and I on wrote it. back, I was like, I was like, I will be on it. I just, I I'm doing all these things. Like I'm on dad duty. I'd just been coaching all morning. I haven't been around my computer. Um, and so it was just like one of those funny things. And I responded later that night. So it was literally the next day I responded to all their questions. And then I, and, and one of the questions was, will you fly out to Nashville to interview? And I said, yeah, just like give me a heads up. I make the schedule here at Sunita so I can you know, kind of move that around. And I didn't hear anything back for two weeks. And it was the week before you were supposed to fly out to go interview. So I sent a follow-up because it felt like they were interested because they sent it so fast. And then um, they were like, oh, my God, yeah, like it would be great. Can you come out Monday? And that was Thursday. So I was, <laughs> I was like, okay. So I had to I had to talk to my coaches and see who could cover uh, because I did want to come out and interview. And so I, I came out and interviewed and all of a sudden it turned into, I was meeting, you know, at the time street, Alec, Will, Brooke, um, Tia, Shane, they were all in the gym. Um, I kind of got introduced to all of them. They were going around and then I went out to interview and Brooke was in the interview with Tia, Shane. Um, and we sat down and it was talking about actually coaching the athletes one-on-one and being there a little bit more full-time and doing programming that way. And, and I thought it was just this remote position and it was just like, it was a, it was kind of a funny thing where I was like, okay, this is just a little bit different than what I thought it was, but that's a cool um, change of direction that I actually like the idea of. I just hadn't known that I was thinking of moving to Nashville at the time. And so, um, you know, that's basically, and what ended up happening was Tia told me that she, she'd actually thought that I'd just been like, no, I don't want the job. And I'd never responded and they never saw my follow-up email. And so they just thought I'd basically thrown it to the side. Um, and so that follow-up email, they were like, oh my God, we didn't know that you actually had responded. Yes, please come out. And so then they sent it out to me um, and that they wanted me to be out there. And so I was like one of the last people to interview. And it was literally just because they lost the email kind of it was like one of those ones that had just gotten through um with all the rest of the emails and it had been missed so um it was kind of funny but i ended up with the job um and it was funny because it was only going to be one person and then when at the same time that's when alec and street and will decided to come on at the same time because it was just going to be brooke and so then they said hey we need a second coach so they originally wanted one and then they met both me and Nick and they were like, hey, you guys actually both fit the mold. So we kind of want two coaches and we'll figure out a role. And so did your 15 hours then increase by a lot? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it started, it started off generally at 15. I mean, I would say 15 in terms of programming, kind of getting everything going. But then there was the travel to Nashville coming in on yeah. weekends, getting ready for everything. And so it turned into more than that. And then it was very quickly turned into, hey, can you move out here as quick as possible and be full time? And so it turned in from January being like, okay, this 15 hour a week job to move May 1st, living in Nashville full time with the athletes and getting ready for the games. And how did that conversation go with your wife about making a move to Nashville? Honestly, just with a newborn. 
so there was a lot going into it. It was, it was, it was very challenging in terms of the fact that Julia, my wife loves, loves, loves Boulder, Colorado. Um, and has definitely fallen in love with that area. I mean, I love Boulder. Um, it's definitely a hard place not to love. She had friends out there. You know, we had other people, we had a pretty good community. Um, at the same time, she just changed her job and gotten a new job. It was fully remote, but at the same time it was, we were moving in May and her job started mid-March. And so she's trying to get a new job while we're trying to move. And we are actually renovating our house to be able to sell it in order to get this move going. And it was Nashville and Julia didn't know about moving, you know, to the South and kind of getting that going. And so it was definitely one of those things where it's kind of a leap of faith. Um, she knew it was a dream job for me and I wanted to do it. So she just kind of got on board and then we decided to make our way out here and it was, you know, very exciting. And we've, we found our way and definitely found like a good community here and kind of settled in a, a you know, the pace here in Nashville. Uh, are you both from Boulder originally? No, actually. So this is funny. So it's how we met. We're both from the Bay area and um, like San Francisco Bay area, California. And we met in Boulder. And what had happened was, is that I was the head coach there. She was an athlete there. We never even thought about, each other really romantically it was just one of those things where we had you know close friends like being in, in, intertwined a little bit but uh i was home for christmas and i saw her post something on her story that said hey flying into you know san francisco and i was like oh why are you flying into san francisco i'm already out here and i just responded and she goes oh i live out here i'm just back home to see my mom and family for Christmas and I was like oh well you know if you're out and about I'm gonna be with friends like we might be able to you know meet up have a drink somewhere and it wasn't like a date or anything it was literally just hey we're both in the same spot but then you know it kind of it just seemed like the change of environment from being outside of Boulder and not being in that environment of me being a coach and her being an athlete and then coming into another environment and going out and getting drinks and ended up turning into more did did she look different did you look different out like <laughs> No, because, I like you're in gym, you're in gym clothes and you're like always like sweaty. Like I know there, there, there's a little bit of that. I, I think, I think there was a little bit of, you know, we didn't even think about it as a thing. And then you start talking, it's uh, hilarious. You know, you start talking on Instagram or something and I throw a winky face out there and she thinks I'm flirting and I just, <laughs> I just don't know how to do emojis, you know? Um, and so that's, that's what it turns into. So, I, you know, I threw a winky face. She said I was flirting and I was like, well, I wasn't flirting, but maybe I am now, you know? And then, uh, so that's how it kind of turned into, to that on our way to go get drinks. And it was honestly, I wasn't really trying to flirt, but it turned into that. The old winky face story. The old winky face. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that, that's kind of the story of how we wound up in Nashville and, and meeting each other with that. So, Yeah. So does she still do CrossFit? She still does CrossFit. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. So it's, it's funny, you know, you transition and I, I didn't even realize this. I mean, it's definitely something I've realized with CrossFit as a general is the community is so huge. Um, and it's definitely what brings us into it. And I can't tell you, uh, my, my own perspective on terms of how Sunita's felt when I first got there was, oh it was definitely one of those ones where like that gym culture when we first started was something that definitely just drew so many people in. And I have so many close friends that grew out of that. And I know that a lot of people felt that 
with the gyms that they've been at. Um, and there, there's just something different about it. And then it being my own coming out here and trying to be into a different environment, it was really hard for her to feel as connected to it. And she started to, you know, wonder whether or not CrossFit even felt that same connection and trying to figure out whether or not like a different type of gym routine would be it. She didn't, you know, find that same group as she did there. Um, and it was one of the things that's like, I love East Nashville. I love the people there. I love the athletes. You know, I, I get along with everybody. Um, and it's really fun for her. It just, the style, um, and in terms of the way that it, it was, she just didn't connect as well. And then, um, there's a gym down the way called on the end CrossFit in Nashville. So it's just down the way. Um, they actually do proven affiliate programming. And we just kind of found that, that they were down there. And we didn't even, there was a gym that was 15 minutes from us that was doing our affiliate programming. And Julia's like, I miss, you know, doing your workouts. It just, she felt the connection to it. And so she ended up, uh, I told her, I was like, Hey, like, cause we went over there for a little photo shoot and we did um, an open workout there and, you know, kind of blasted it up for them. And it was really fun. And I met the owner and she was really great. And so it was one of those things where I, I thought that they'd be uh, great fit and she's now become friends with the owner and we've even gone over there um, for a house for dinner they have um, you know a young kid as well and so now it's like one of those things where it's like Julia feels really close to them and she's developed a community she really hit it off with all the members there and it just kind of seemed like a tighter closer gym it's not the I think it's just a different style right it's a little bit smaller you know there's a little bit more close-knit uh, community for her in that type of environment versus like a big gym open feel um, that East Nashville has. And so it's just a different style. Um, I like both and I could, I could go back and forth all the time and that I always just like different environments for me. So, um, that's kind of how that happens. So yeah, she's still does CrossFit just down the way. Does East Nashville not do proven programming? They do not. No, no, no. Caleb, uh, is <laughs> super knowledgeable. Um, it is one of those things like, I mean, it's, you know, I, I think I get it though. A hundred percent. When I was, when I was the, you know, running Sinitas, I've, I liked having ownership over it. I talked to the athletes every day. I listened to how their feedback was. I listened to how they feel. And, um, I liked having that ownership and that talk with them about why I created something and what I was doing with them on a daily basis. And I would say that what I like about Caleb as a owner of East Nashville is that he really does, um, put his heart and soul into the way that he programs for, the gym and the style and what he's trying to accomplish with that. He takes ownership over it. Um, and you know, it's, it's really great to see that he has his own style and he wants to stick with it. Um, I would say that, you know, I try as the affiliate, you know, person on proven to do the same and to provide as much value to all the gyms in the terms of the way that I would naturally talk to athletes. And that's kind of like what I try to do as the, uh, as the affiliate programmer is bring that into it where the, the coaches for each gym and the owners for each gym can feel that same ownership and understanding from my perspective so that they can really still give that to their athletes. And I understand that some, you know, some gym owners still want to just hold that and do that for themselves. And some have realized that they can actually focus on more things by doing it that way. So I think it's just one way or another, you know, they're still yeah. given what they the best they can for their athletes and some want to do it a different way. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, there's certainly value to both things, but I think yeah. what what you're saying too, is that there's also this relationship based piece that you yeah. can, you can kind of tweak things based on that where of course there's great benefits to having a program and not having to think about all those things, but sometimes yeah. you miss that relationship piece. So. Yeah. 
So how do you get your fitness in, in a day? So, um, it's funny. It's, it's at detriment to sleep most of the time. Um, I would say I'm a big believer. Um, I always call it my golden hours, but five to 7am before anybody else wakes up. I like to make sure that I, I get up there and I, I get myself, uh, accounted for first makes my brain work a little bit better in the day. If I'm thinking about the fact that I haven't been working out kind of pisses me off. Um, I'm definitely one of those people that likes to move every single day. Um, Julia would say I'm obsessed, but I'm, I'm not as obsessed as the athletes that we have. <laughs> um, I see Nick down there doing a big, yeah. um, I would say I'm yeah, definitely Mr. not, like, top. yeah, I'm not, I'm not as obsessed as Nick with it. Um, I just know that I need to get in at least 60 minutes, um, pretty much every single day and I'm going to get it in one way or another. And so a lot of times it's fitting it in. Um, I'll jump into some of the endurance pieces with the athletes. Um, I'll tell them it's, you know, cause I want to push them, but it's really just the only thing I don't feel like I'm just getting run over with. So, um, I can actually, uh, push them a little bit and actually challenge things a little bit more with that. So I'll jump into some of the endurance pieces with them. I'll jump into some of the pool sessions, you know, and kind of do that. And I'll test out some of the progressions that we do on endurance pieces a couple of days beforehand. Um, Tia likes to joke that I always test them fresh. So they're harder for her. Um, and I'm like, I'm never fresh. It's only on five and a half hours of sleep, but that's, uh, I try to get more sleep than that, but sometimes it doesn't work out. And I've actually noticed I feel healthier working out than I do sleeping, um, that extra two hours. So it's just the, I think it's the time period having a two and a half year old and where I'm at in terms of life with that, that I'm just willing to sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Our uh, co-host cat just piped in that she just opened her own affiliate and she yeah. says 5 a.m. when nobody needs me. That's exactly it. Uh, <laughs> the, the only time of day where I don't feel like anybody's asking anything. So mm -hmm. that's that's definitely when I get in my, my most working out. So with the last, you know, 20 minutes or so we have, what I want to do yeah. is kind of go through your list of athletes yeah. headed to the games where are they at? What what are you trying to accomplish with them in these last couple of weeks? And what do you think their strengths are when we get to when we get to uh, Madison? And so first one, Tia. Yeah. Everybody knows her. N not sure she has a hole. Uh, you're, uh, you're a coach. Well, well, what is interesting about Tia is that um, I think if she ever has a hole. She is so competitive, probably the most competitive person. And I would say I'm, I'm a hugely competitive person and I, I haven't met many people that I think that are as competitive as me when you get into like any environments, but when you watch Tia on a daily basis with whatever she does, she won't be bad at anything because she just hates that. Um, and so literally her will to not have a hole is amazing. And so I would say, yeah, I, I still have yet to try to poke holes in her and what we will try to do. I, I would say as you know, a general like coaching thing is you try to look for weaknesses and you try to hammer those a little bit. And so anything that, you know, she might look like she's not as far ahead on, you know, we try, we try to push that metric a little bit more. And so, you know, a lot of it is just really watching and kind of being like, okay, how can we challenge her a little bit more? You know, and I would say to some extent, when you watch what the scale of the men's versus women's weight is when we train, um, there's like women's weight and then there's Tia weight. Um, and so that's another way to challenge her and to push her is to make it a, maybe a little more challenging for her, uh, with the group in order for them to, 
be able to push her a little bit more within workouts. And I would say that that's kind of like one of the biggest things that I've definitely seen is she, she definitely has a will to win um, that's unmatched. Um, and I would say that that's her biggest talent. A lot of times as a sports fan, when you look at dynasties, a lot of times you hear that it's really hard for them to enjoy the wins because they're already thinking about the next season. Yeah. And does Tia enjoy the victories? Yeah. I mean, Tia, I, I, I definitely watching her party after the victories makes me think that she definitely enjoys the victories. <laughs> um, that's, that's one thing that's great about her is that she definitely can unleash uh, a little bit right afterwards. I don't know if you saw the video of her giving everybody shoeies. Do you, yep. if you know what shoes are? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she loves, loves to have fun um, and be, it's, it's amazing when she can let loose and she doesn't have to stay on the rigor, you know, and pushing things. And so I think what she really gets from that is that, that, that release of the everyday you know, just grind. And when she's able to relax and just be herself, you know, and not think about the daily grind, it's, it's really fun to see and fun to see her kind of let loose super, you know, charismatic, sweet, fun, you know, loves to be out there. Um, like I said, she'll, she'll be a pusher with drinks sometimes. Um, but it's definitely one of those things where like, you can actually see it be pretty fun. And so I think she does enjoy it because it allows her to just be like, okay, did my job. Now I'm going to, you know, go back to being a normal person. The last Tia question, Kat says, do you think Tia would ever transition to coaching? And then the you know caveat what? is after yeah. she wins her 10th straight, of course. Yes. Um, I, you know what? I actually do think that if there's, there's no one that's more of a coach as an athlete than her in the group. Um, she, she's looking at everything from every perspective and she has a really clear perspective of, you know, why she's so good. And so she's definitely one of those people that gives you clear feedback on, you know, in terms of and she listens to everything you say as a coach, which is so she's very coachable being at the level that she's at to listen to anybody that might have a good perspective on it. And I think that that leads into being a good coach because it means you're more open-minded to, you know, different perspectives. And so honestly watching her talk to the other athletes, talk to anybody in the group, say something, you know, she looks at a, a workout and she's like, it needs to be done this way. Um, I, I think that she'd be a great coach. Um, and I could see, I, I see her have a little bit of that fire in her uh, to get everybody else better around her. So I got the privilege to stand beside her on the sidelines at Mac. Oh yeah. And there was a, and there was a remote athlete from proven right in yep. front of us. She was screaming. She her definitely off. can be coaching. <laughs> yeah. I watched it. Yeah. I watched it live. Yeah. 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 It's uh, <laughs> she lost her voice that weekend. So that's good yeah and every and all the stuff with saxon and all that stuff like one she was a fan two she was coaching it was just oh yeah fun to watch yeah like you you see that fire in her like she won't ever get away from the game that's the thing yeah so if she's not if she's not competing she's going to be some way or another in it Yeah. yeah so next we go to brooke yeah coming off a very rough games from last year maybe her best games up until the bad moment. Well, I was just about to say, I was like rough, but at the same time, watching how she was competing and the level that she was at and how she was attacking everything. And also the way that the programming actually sat with the final day after the injury, we were, we were looking at it and be like, man, all these workouts, the way that, you know, they were hitting, it was, it was good for. And I I think that 
we definitely saw a really, really, really fit Brooke Wells. And we yeah. saw that, that mental strength and that capacity to just push was, was all there. So what does it look like going this year now that she's coming off the injury? We saw her at semis where she had kind of an up and down semi. She got in, which is a huge achievement less than a year after that injury. It, it seemed like most of that was mindset. Like, was the elbow going to hold up or not? Are you talking about the up and downness of Mac or... Yeah. Um, are you talking about yeah just yeah honestly looking at it it was it was amazing watching her progress throughout the off season and how she tackles every single little detail in terms of her recovery and getting to a point where honestly her elbow looks better and stronger than it ever did last year leading into it so you know it, it definitely had been a thing where she'd had some tendonitis in that elbow for a really long time and if you know tendonitis, it turns into tendinosis. And that, that's, you know, one reason why like things like that happen. Um, but now I mean, with the amount of structure that she's able to then put around her body, her body looks stronger. Um, I think there was a little bit of that. It was going in, you know, just the rope climbs um, going into just training them. We actually couldn't train them, you know, for a long time because putting that twerk on that elbow is really hard. So ring muscle ups, and rope climbs were just something that had to be put in really late. Um, we, we did a ton of extra structural strength work, got her ready for the ability to train for it, but then being able to jump up there and think about doing legless and you're just hanging off the, that elbow joint. Cause you do put a lot of torque when you rotate through there. You know, that was one of those things that it was more in the training than necessarily on competition day. Um, I would say that up and down, you know, to me, it really just goes into it's, it's, it's similar. It just didn't, it didn't happen as big to, um, you know, uh, Kohlenbrander, Christine Kohlenbrander kind of where she hit that last one. And that was the, you know, Brooke was on pace for about four, four twenty on that workout. And I think it was literally just went up for a rope climb 15 seconds too early. And it just blew up by having to do one extra. And that put her into a chasing mindset instead of an attacking mindset because you know she had a really down finish in that one when it would have been you know closer to that 10 to 12 and it ended up being a 24th and so then pushing and trying to win the next event just had her uh kind of overreach a little bit and so then it turned into a little bit more of an up and down event than it needed to be and i think that what we saw was you know just basically like one little mistake of 15 seconds you know it's one of those things where i don't i don't know if it's necessarily like that big of a mistake it was awesome to see her go for it you know and try to push the time limit on that um but then it did challenge her for the rest of the weekend and able to fight for that but what you saw was that she has the fight um and she's only getting better with that and she only has more time leading into the game so um i i think that there's a lot more um, potential in her and i think that 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 up and down weekend actually only made her stronger and understand herself even a little bit more going into the games and she gets two more months to recover. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so huge. optimistic going into the games then with Brooke? Yeah, um, Brooke looks great. Um, feeling really strong. Like I said, like the structure around her body, um, her shoulders, elbow, wrists, you know, her hips, everything, like looking really strong, looking really good. She's hit all the training, um, hasn't had to modify anything, and is just, you know, ready to go. 
What's it like uh, coaching the twins, though? Do they uh, get along most of the time, or is there any some sibling rivalry going on there? Um, there, there's not necessarily sibling rivalry. I would say that they actually really do both really want each other to do super well. There is a little bit of it, and I had to watch it early on, um, specifically off-season type training stuff too, mm-hmm. um, where just specific conditioning pieces where I would make sure that you know you'd give it to them on different days. Okay. Um, yeah. And hopefully they wouldn't really talk to each other about the times. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and you could get a little bit more of a gauge for that just because I didn't want to create as much competition in that one. So that that's that's a little bit of it to try to just separate it a little bit more so that they're not always just competing, competing, competing in everything. Yeah. You know, there's the classic just even, you know, sisters where exactly you know, yeah. someone uses someone's knee sleeves or wrist wraps, <laughs> you know. And you see the little arguments happen. Uh, that stuff's funny to me. Yeah. Uh, but I would say like the sibling rivalry in terms of the training environment, they both know where they're at in terms of their training. Yeah. You know, Sydney's up and comer. I'm um, trying to get into it. She yeah. still has, you know, a pretty much a full-time job and right. has to get in her training. Um, so it's, she has to change up her training a little bit differently. She trains on a little bit more of a different uh, weekly structure. Um, so it does keep things a little bit separated that way. And so I think there is a little bit of, keeping it somewhat separate and knowing that we have different goals, you know, in each training cycle with them that allows for less of that, I would say. Yeah. It seems like you're basically surrounded by a lot of twins uh, scenarios though, since you've got oh my God, it's, twin I, with those I, twins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's well, and it's crazy. Cause I mean, so Saxon's twins and then his wife uh, is a twin. Twins. Yeah. Yeah. Is a twin. And mm-hmm. then they had twins. Yeah. And, uh, it is kind of nuts to, to think about that. I'm just hoping that I don't somehow get some the pheromones through the air uh, when, when Julia has our next. Um, I'm hoping it's six to one. Yeah. Um, so Saxon, yeah. one of the newest members. Uh, I've been following Saxon for a long time. Um, he was an Ohio boy like we are. Yeah. And... Uh, Probably the most composed I've ever seen him on a floor was the Mac. He look, looked strong. Um, it, that was one of the, that was so fun to watch, um, was watching Saxon compete at that and watching him just, you know, get into the vibe and just unleash kind of on each mm-hmm. event. And, you know, for, for me, what I saw from him was just attack, attack mode, um, confidence, you know, going after everything. I, you know, I've told him this, that I think that he's really done a great job of just getting into the environment and taking everything in. And he's definitely brought the environment up in our training camp, which is great. Um, he definitely brings like a really good attitude, um, kind of just a show up, put your head down, but laugh, you know, at the same time. So he's, he's a worker, but he's also a guy that, you know, enjoys the process. Yeah. I, um, and, and this is not a criticism on the pan checks, but it always seemed like consistency was more important than the home run. And I think in this day and age of CrossFit with so many athletes getting so much better, you have to hit a home run or two. Yeah. If so you're gonna, if you're going to podium, it's funny. Cause that's the, that's actually the, after Granite games with Nick Matthew, that was the thing that I told Nick, um, so like watching it is, and it's the same thing we've, you know, uh, harnessed with Saxon. We, you know, we want attack mode. It's like, if you, if you have a chance to get a first, you get a first, 
those points at the top, the first, second, third, are just so much bigger than that consistent place of seventh to tenth that you need to do it. And that was the one thing that we saw why, you know, going back to what I said to Nick was I was like, we just need to learn how to find some more home runs because you're super consistent across the board. And like you said, with the pan checks, it's like, okay, maybe you had like just consistency, you know, fifth through tenth, but you don't hit a first. If you hit a first, it gives you some room um, to breathe a little bit more and to have a 12th, you know? And so that's definitely one of those things. I would also say that one thing that you learn from Kia going back to her is, you know, she's not satisfied if she's not, you know, top. And so everything about her is attacking and it's like, Hey, I'm not going to let someone beat me. If they beat me, they beat me, but I'm definitely going to attack every single event. And she definitely preaches that. Like I said, as a coach, the way that she is a coach athlete, sometimes she definitely uh, preaches that and specifically has, you know, talked at length to Saxon about that attack mode. So then we move on to Will, who yep. probably the greatest comeback oh. in semifinal regional history. Yeah. Gets to his gets, gets to what third games now? Fourth? Yeah. Third, fourth? Fourth. 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 Yeah. Um, and I mean he's if you look at his career, um, he's definitely just uh up and down um pretty consistently in terms of and it's it's not you know a lot of times it's just things have happened um yeah. his you know health. along the, like his health yeah i mean he tore his hamstring at one games yep you know um he definitely had a moment where you know he went into kidney failure you know at another um event i believe it was Wadapalooza. so there there's been some things that have come up that have been gnarly um and watching him you know, going into the last day, it was, it was almost like this, this type of thing happened on Saturday. We, we talked about it. We were looking at it and we're like, Hey man, there's nothing to lose. Let's just win, you know? And he was like, yeah, I'm going to just try to win both events and we'll see what happens. And watching him unleash and be able to just say, Hey, you know what? I'm not thinking about anything else right now. I'm going to win we've talked about that, that mindset of being like, Hey, there's nothing to lose. I'm going to try to attack and just win each event. And I mean, he got a fifth at a first it's close, you know, but it's enough, but it was probably the most stressed I've ever been in an yeah. event. Uh, my heart was through, through the roof. I was sitting next to cast there and like, yeah. When we looked at it and I was doing the math in my head, I was like, you know, there's actually a chance. Like it was nuts. And then when they announced it, it's like everybody cried. Yeah. Um, and just his, because, the personal year yeah. he's had too, like with his wife, you know, and and all that they've overcome. Well, I mean, yeah, it's 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 been gnarly. I mean, he actually lost his dog the week before syndicate um, at the same time. His dog uh, had cancer. Yeah. So it was like going into that and it's like, he was like, I can't even warn my own dog, like trying to just get ready for this event. And, you know, he's dealing with Cass um, and Cass, you know, is going through another surgery, getting her augmentation right now. And so she's mm -hmm. going through that process and he's having to train for the games while, you know, his wife is go still going through surgeries, right? There, there's a lot that goes into it. That's not just, Hey, the everyday struggle, which it is, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a grind, there's a struggle, there's your own, inner turmoil that you go through in terms of sacrificing your entire day and your body that goes into it. And then having to put on top of that, the fact that you have uh, a spouse that's going through their own struggle and having to try to be there for them is, you know, it's definitely a lot. The, 
his story is what they make Disney movies about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and so I move- think, yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think I saw, uh, this cat down there saying like a healthy will is like an unbelievable will. And it's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Uh, when you see, like when you see will healthy and fully just going, you're like, okay, this guy could be, you know, top five, you know, mm-hmm. at the games, like he could sky's the limit. And, you know, truthfully in the last couple of years, you know, he's had some setbacks with certain things and like, he hasn't had a fully healthy time. And what's awesome right now is that we're seeing a, a, a healthy will coming out um, leading into the games this year. So we're really excited to see what he can do there. So then we move on to Cole. Yeah. Uh, young buck coming up. Definitely, definitely young buck. Yep. Um, what do you think his first games looks like? Man, um, again, that kid is guy of the limit. He's uh, he's he's a workhorse. Um, I've never he's probably one of the strongest athletes I've ever seen on machines. Um, when you when you watch him there, actually, I mean, him and Sprague come from a similar uh, background in terms of like you know their training environment, and so uh, they both have have a little bit of that. But Cole, when training around him and watching him, it's amazing. His his work capacity is you know really 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 high. I think there's the points that, you know, he's learned a lot from just being in our environment and being around the seasoned athletes is more of how to attack each workout strategies that play, even just the game day of getting yourself ready, how to, you know, how to attack everything. You know, he has a lot more people in his corner that are helping him along the way. And so that's what we're starting to see. And I think we're starting to see a more mature Cole. And I think that what we will see is a pretty consistent across the board, um, games experience and i think that we're gonna we're gonna see a really good one and then we'll finish up with uh mr crop top himself yeah nick matthew and we kind of started the show with him yeah um and you talked about that he is a very consistent athlete yeah do you think he is a better games athlete than he is a semifinal athlete you know um i think that it's it's funny it's it's hard to know now because we have a different programmer. So, you know, I, that's true. You know, like I I think that there's, there's to some extent, it's one of those things where it's like, I think that Nick is very well-rounded. He's put in the time to, like I said, he's very well-rounded. So having more events for a well-rounded athlete usually is better. So, you know, when he gets six events and they're all six to 10, it, it kind of still leads, leaves you in that range of like, you might be fifth or sixth because you didn't hit a first. But when you get 15 events and you have, a, you know, as an example, like Patrick Vellner gets 34th, leaves a little bit of room, like on, on one event, he still is able to get, what, second? Um, that's one of those things that's kind of nuts up there that you can see how why home runs matter is when you get a few firsts up there, it does help to limit that. But then what you do see is you see someone like Medeiros, I believe, had more consistency than Vellner and not as many firsts and is able to be get higher up there. So then what you see with someone like Nick Matthew is that if he stays in that range of constantly being, you know, in that really competitive part of the field, he actually can find himself, you know, closer towards the top by having just the fact that there's 15, 16 events up there. Well, we have gone over the yeah. hour already. Okay, so cool. I'm going to yeah. leave you with the last question. And that is without giving anything away, might we see a proven athlete on the demo team? Um, 
You know what? We might. We might. I could see it happen. Okay. All right. Very good. And we'll leave it there. All right. Thank you so much, Dwight. It's been awesome. Thank you for jumping on with us. Uh, The hour just flew by. So, yeah, yeah, that was a blast. It's great talking to you guys. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends podcast. Remember, you can find us now on YouTube as well as all major podcast platforms. Please go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you use and consider giving us a five-star rating. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends.